Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, everybody. It's your Black Knight, Bruiser, Holden McNeely, and his castle made of bricks. It's a podcast. Better go fast. You got a case of <laughs> Whisbrumania. It's a thing you listen to for lots of nerd stuff. Whisbrumania. 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 Holden, I have terrible news. I've been diagnosed with type 2 Legomania. No, God, type two. Yeah, I'm unfortunately, I mean, with drugs, maybe um, I'll be able to live a normal life. But if you see me all of a sudden stacking bricks very quickly, like you're using a fast shutter effect, that's just a normal side effect. Also, I have two years to live. Well, uh, it's totally fine. Under our American healthcare system, it will only cost you $100,000 a month for medication. No, no, no. I, and I, you're still going to die. I just signed up for uh, <laughs> Affordable Care Act, and my deductible is only $6,000, so I'll be fine. Perfect. Uh, Jake Young, this has been fun. By the way, one of my favorite tropes of the show is when we start uh, an episode and you just don't say that you're a wizard or a The bruiser. true fans know <laughs> that I am a goddamn Lego wizard master. If this could be someone's first episode. I mean, Lego's a big one. You know, I could see them scrolling through and being like, fuck Skyrim, give me that Lego. <laughs> uh, you're no, Jake the, Young, you're the, a wizard. <laughs> it's the Connects fans we gotta fear with our goddamn lives. That's true. It's a Connects fan will, will slit your throat yes. for looking at him wrong. Yeah, they'll fuck your girl in front of you. I mean, as soon as, <laughs> I mean, they're very good mechanical engineers, but that's just the one thing they haven't figured out yet. I was saying to Jake that we were, you know, my other research-based show, Pop History, this week uh, could not have been more opposite with uh, doing Prince. And then I would come over to Lego time, and it was just so different, but so pure and so lovely and a really and wildly actually bizarrely tragic. We'll get into the history <laughs> of the company as there are a lot of fires in this episode, but we'll get there. Uh, but I love Lego so much, Jake. I love it. Um I I will get into it, but literally yeah. Lego would not release the color purple for like the first 30 to 40 years of its opposite industry. of Prince. <laughs> so uh, one of the things, you know, OK, what, what? Let's talk. Let's get into the nostalgia trip. OK, here's the OK. I want to talk about my were you experience. A with Lego. sets guy or were you a big fucking butt rubber sets made guy. bucket sets okay. guy with a bullet? Still am a sets guy. So so uh, initially one of my fondest memories of Christmas I believe it was the same year we also got a Game Boy. My brother and I collectively were given a Game Boy to share, mm -hmm. but I I got it most of the time because I wouldn't let him fucking get near that thing. But uh, I came downstairs, and there was the Black Knight's Castle, and I remember, like, I also do have a memory that I opened it up and got into it. I was like, I can't do this shit because I was, like, too young or whatever. <laughs> and I think my brother put it together for me. 
But still, I loved my Black Knight's Castle so much, and it had like a drawbridge that you could open and close, and it was so great, and it was like one of my fondest Christmas memories was getting that thing. I just thought it was the coolest ever. Then you can flash forward to, you know, I didn't do a ton, a ton of Legos. I just remember that one more specifically. Uh, but actually, in more modern day, I decided to go, you know, to the Lego store, and I picked out a, uh, what was the first one? I think I, I picked out the movie theater to put together with my now wife, and I don't believe we were married at the time, but... We had such a wonderful time. It was such a good couple activity, and I really recommend it. I will say, Lego are is very expensive. Mm -hmm. Very expensive, these sets. But, man, it is such a fun couple activity or activity to do with a friend or by yourself. It's very meditative. I know in the Lego movie, is it just called Lego movie? No, uh, Lego, Lego movie is the Lego movie. The documentary about is Lego. Is it the one with um the Arrested Development guy as the narrator? It, Maybe it has Trey Parker in it. Oh yeah, that's a brickumentary. Lego the brickumentary. So I was watching that, and I remember I loved that Trey Parker talked about his love of Lego, and he had a ton of sets in his office. And I think for him, it was that he had to put so much energy into creativity and into all of this like stuff to make South Park episodes. I mean, they they just churn those things out at such a level. And so for him, Lego was a way for him to meditate and it was all laid out in front of him and it was just this very simple step-by-step -step guide to create this really beautiful end product but he didn't have to think really you know what i mean he could just follow the directions and there's something about the pure feeling of just following simple directions that can be so meditative and so calming and so pure. And that's what I love about adult Lego building. I love it. I got that. I also got this pet shop apartment building and you can connect it to the movie theater and it makes like a city block. And then I recently got, um, not the craziest one, but I got a Hogwarts mm. set and I put that together with Lexi. We had a great time. Just really fun to sit with somebody. Now, that said, I went home with her for Christmas break to Jacksonville. And um, when we got to her sister's place on Christmas day, her one of her sister's daughters, she has like six kids. One of them, the, uh, very young, I forget what age, but very young, very young. I forget how old she is, got a uh, frozen Lego set. And I sat down with her and helped her put it together. And it was so awesome, and she was really into it, and we like played with the set afterwards, and we had so much fun. And I just love that a little girl that is like so much younger than obviously me and Lexi can have this great joy in building in the exact same way that Lexi and I, grown adults, can sit down and have. There's something so universal about Lego, something so wonderful, and there really is a set for everybody. Like, if you want to be basic and get the city block and just feel good about that, that's great. If you want to, um, you know, get your favorite IP, the Millennium Falcon and whatever, great. And, uh, you know, I just feel like there's something for everybody there, and it really does defy age ages in a certain way. It really does. And I think it's just a pure joy for everybody. What it doesn't defy is a uh, a, a small bank account. 
because it is very expensive. But other than that, I, I just love, and then there's this whole element that you brought up that I haven't talked about. And I, I've been rambling for a while and I will stop rambling soon, but I'm just so into my, my feels right now, Jake. <laughs> but you know, I don't even fuck with the creative part. Also, she was like, want to see our, uh, how much Lego we have. And the daughter took me into the like playroom and pulled out these massive bins of just random Lego. Now, what were you, Jake? And what is your experience with Lego? So, uh, I hit my Lego peak during the 90s. That was, I was enamored with the space sets. When doing research for this, I actually uh, tracked down what I believe is my uh, favorite uh, set of all time, and that was the Space Explorers minifigure variety set, set number 6705. Okay. Uh, every part has its own name. The classic brick is like 3001. Every set has its own uh, yep. number. Uh, and this contained basically my entire childhood memories. Uh, Ice Planet 2002, Spirius, Unitron, uh, Aquanauts, all of these insanely uh, detailed factions that, you know, you would get the set, you would enter that zen-like bliss of building what was really cool-ass shit. With so all you were also a follow-the-rules boy. And then I'd play with them for a little bit, okay. bit like have my little stories, because uh, at this time, Lego was super into factions. Lego yes. was super into all these like suggestions of a greater universe, but without like a ton of media to tell you how to play with it. But, you know, there were good guys and there were bad guys, and I would then start taking it apart and building my own shit, and I would just... I was so obsessed. I loved toys as a kid. I was I was that weird kid that kept playing with action figures. Me too. Way too me late. Me too. Having little battles, having little sh like I, my mom like kind of made me put a box everything up and like store it in the attic. And I pulled out my Batman action figures and stuff and like was playing with them. And then I hid them under my pillow. And she like found them. And I it was like a great source of shame for me. And she's like, "We're putting these away. You're an adult." And I was like, "I don't want to be an adult. I want to play with my action figures." I was so obsessed with action figures with toys that I would actually if I had to go to religious services when I didn't want to if there was a class I didn't want to pay attention to, I would keep minifigs and a couple of bricks like in my pockets huh. just so I could occupy my imagination right. and now I'm a professional podcaster yeah. and I don't know how to do algebra <laughs> and I have Lego to thank for that <laughs> um, and the weirdest thing going into this uh, doing all this research is the idea that this this is a company. This is a corporation. This yeah. is a it, it's it's located <laughs> in in Denmark. It is a billion dollar uh, corporate property, and they control what is essentially a building medium. Yeah, a very essential building medium. Yes, it's like if one company was responsible for for wood or or steel because it it allows you to create and build these semi-permanent structures these these solid structures without any knowledge of uh tools without any knowledge of architecture of, of architecture of you know you don't have to weld anything together you don't have to use any any tool you don't have to use anything you it's just your hands and just clutch power friction between plastic pieces mm -hmm. and you can create things and yeah the fact that this one company is the source of this meat of this building material. Yeah, it's not. It's you know. It they've tried to make it its own culture. They've tried to make it its own t uh, individual thing. But they're not Disney. 
it's almost a commodity that they controlled the flow of. Yeah. Uh, so much of this of the company's kind of ups and downs were based on their own brick supplies, whether they were flooding the market with too much loose material or whether the production costs were too high. It's supply and demand mm-hmm. and and tolerances and engineering for the sake of something that is used for frivolous play, genuine prototyping and creativity, and for an entire generation, uh, a gateway to robotics yeah. and, and you know all these other things. It's it's wild, and it's I've only seen it get bigger and bigger and yes it's had its ups and downs as you say so we didn't really notice i think maybe the downs as much but it's something that's always been in my life mm-hmm. it's all you know and now it's in a way that now that I, I live in new york i mean the lego store locations the one in rockefeller center and the one over by uh, what bryant park uh, are such big mainstays now i for me of my new york city experience that even here as a grown ass adult, there's Lego is still just in my life in such a big way. And now almost even more so than ever was. And going and, and then having and we're gonna get to that in part two, but having the Lego movie come out and be fucking awesome. Uh everything is awesome, pun and you know, whatever with the pun. But it have it be really legitimately great and feeling so it's it's definitely one of those things too where Certain companies, you're like, you have a weird vibe about their success. Even big, even big ones whose products I love, like Apple or Disney or whatever, there's like a weird vibe to it. With Lego, I'm always rooting for Lego. Like I always want them to succeed and and crush it at every turn. The only other time I've encountered a company with this much mythology, with this much of an intense connection between its fans and customers, and the intricacies of its corporate mythology. Nintendo. I was going to say Disney, but Nintendo say, is but also Disney, there. Because of how big they're getting, it's getting a little freaky. Yeah. I feel like that vibe is about them. Oh, no, I'm talking the people that buy all the pins and have the and know which Golden Age animator like animated which scene in Seven Dwarfs, like that. Crazy yeah. Stuff. Yes. 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 But also, I think um, I think th- you actually sparked the idea of like Nintendo kind of has that too, where you're always rooting for Nintendo with all their crazy ideas and stuff. But there's not a lot of companies out there that instill that feeling. I'd say Nintendo's like the only other one for I me. will actually tell you why Lego, Nintendo, and Disney operate in such a weird kind of almost spiritual uh-huh. part of our collective cultural consciousness, but we can't get to that. We got to start at the Dude, very beginning. We got to get into it. Let's go. Ole Kirk Christensen. Ole is Ole Kirk Christensen. Oh, it's Ole? Ole. Oh, I liked, I liked Ole. Yeah, Ole Kirk Christensen. Ole, okay. Ole Kirk Christensen. As a child, he loved whittling and playing with wood. He was the 10th child of a very poor family, but he still managed to get a high school education, and he started out working in a factory. But in 1905, at just 14 years of age, he apprenticed for his brother... And in 1911, he went to Germany to work in carpentry for five years. He ends up buying the Billund Woodworking and Carpentry Shop, which is in Billund, Denmark. So, and he was—he grew up in Denmark with so the money So the thing he you saved. have to understand is when you think about Denmark, and uh, I'm sure Yoram, Mr. Crawley himself, will correct us in the uh, Facebook group. But the thing about Denmark is... Um, when you think like Denmark, you might be thinking about Copenhagen. You might be thinking of like this like fancy Scandinavian city, but that's over across a sea basically on one peninsula. Ah, Billund is in the Jutland 
Uh-huh. Or Jutland. I don't know. I can't. I'm U- not. Yeah, probably Jutland. Sounds uh, more. Peninsula, which is the fucking boonies. It is not only it's in the boonies, <laughs> it's in the middle of the boonies. And so what Ole's uh, kind of core business was, was he was just a carpenter that would help farmers build like barns and farmhouses. He was just the guy who knew how to turn all these birch trees into shit you can build with. <laughs> so he, yeah, he had gotten his education in Germany, which was a big manufacturing uh, kind of hub in Europe, again, before all the World War whoopsies. And he returned to his kind of uh, bumblefuck farm t- farmland and was just helping this kind of burgeoning uh, community because there was a there was kind of a more farms and more more economic activity you know there was more demand for butter and eggs and cows and pigs <laughs> they love pigs Denmark they just they just the worst for pigs <laughs> good lord uh, he ends up opening his first shop in 1916 when he was just 25 years old and he starts out making furniture like ladders stools and ironing boards very boring stuff uh consumer goods though yeah. he's making consumer goods uh wooden and- pigs because <laughs> they were flying off the shelves and around this time um while he's making these things for in his local in his local little uh, carpentry shop uh the first fire happens <laughs> yes in 1924, one of his sons accidentally set a pile of wood chips on fire in the shop, which burned down along with the family home. And it ended up he ended up building a larger workshop after it, actually. So it ended up being, I guess, a positive thing at the end of the day. But, yeah, I mean, with woodworking and wood workshops, especially back in the day. I mean, this is, again, 1924. There's there's a lot of danger of fire and things like that. For sure. Also, by the way, he marries the daughter of a Norwegian cheesemaker and has four children. One of his sons would go on to work for him in his shop at age 12, who would become his second in command later on, named Gottfred. Uh, you're going to have his his children are very involved in the company throughout time. But in 1929, this is after the fire and all that stuff, but uh, trouble strikes again when the American stock market crashes and puts the world into the Great Depression. So to top it all off, Christensen's wife, on top of that, uh, Ole Kirk's wife, dies in 1932. And Christensen- it's, it's, This is hilarious. Lego produced this very janky CG company history. Uh-huh. And I swear to God, this was produced, I think, before Pixar's Up. There's a scene where Ole is uh, bemoaning, looking at his books and being like, after the fire and after the Great Depression, nobody is buying anything. All we can sell are these little wooden toys. And like, even then, you know, our sales just aren't very good. I might have to let go of the workers. And Christine, Kirstine, his wife, goes like, oh, don't worry, Ole. Everything can't get much worse. She then fades away and the narrator goes, Kirstine died. <laughs> it's fucking heartbreaking. <laughs> It's terrible. Oh, my good God. Um, But (laughs) he's with the advent of World War II. All of a sudden, uh, things kind of turn around for Ole and Godfrey. I will say before that, when his wife dies, he has to lay off a lot of his staff in order to make ends meet. And this leads to a major turning point in his and the company's future. So it's a lot less people working. And it's around 1932 that Ole Kirk Christensen starts making inexpensive goods that had a better chance of selling, including cheap toys. Uh, Specifically, Germany invades Denmark. And uh, previously, most Danish people bought their toys 
from Germany. Ah. So it was like now in bad taste to buy German toys. So Ole is a local toy maker. Right. Not only that, um, he's making his toys out of wood, and the war creates a giant metal shortage. Mm. So all the tin toys and steel toys that were previously uh, abundant and popular were no longer available. So all of a sudden, Ole has... A business making wooden uh, cars and buses and uh, famously a wooden duck pull toy, which, again, you have to understand this is the olden times and having a little toy that you pulled on a string. It's like the hoop and a stick. Yeah. It was just something fun. This was like the, the let me, let's, it was it, like the Nintendo Switch yes. of post of uh, warts torn uh, Denmark. His, was, his, his beak would open and close when you, when you pulled on him, too. So he had a little something. He had a little bit of flash and flare. But he had an eye for um, for details and, you know, it's of good quality. And especially with wooden toys, if you don't have the wooden parts sanded right, if you don't have the lacquer layers like perfectly cured, it falls apart. It doesn't work right. And so the fact that he actually made wooden toys that played well was very good emphasis on plays well. So for this new direction, he needs a new name. And yes, play well in Danish uh, is translates to leg got leggot leggot and so he takes that phrase puts it together and changes it to uh, Lego <laughs> and uh, the motto for his Lego group was det best er ik forgot which translates to the best is not too good which <laughs> means always got to go for it always got to push as hard as you can and yeah they um and then the factory burns down again in <laughs> 1942 <laughs> this time it was an electrical fire uh they called the fire department but by the time they got there it was just completely uh burnt to the ground in addition to that ole's supply of wood was actually getting hard to come by there were supply chain problems local forests weren't like as productive as they used to be and they kept burning down. So he was looking for an alternative for wood, something yes. that he could like uh, uh, kind of supplement his output of toys from. And what really won him over was a injection plastic molding machine. Yes, which he buys. It is Denmark's first plastic injection molding machine. And this is in 1946, at a time when the Danish government forbade the commercial use of said plastics. This had to do with the war and scarcity but this, petroleum products. Yes, this ban went away though in 1947, which allowed him to finally sell his plastic toy. So that's a crazy investment to purchase that thing, not knowing whether or not you know when you're going to be able to actually start selling your wares. But I guess it gives him a little bit of an incubation period to work on what you know putting these toys out in 1949. And it should also be uh, noted that the production sample that was handed out at the conference where he first saw the injection molding machine that he wanted to purchase. Uh, you know, because any time you you know you're selling like industrial equipment, they'll have samples. The proof of concept was a plastic brick by the Kitty Craft Company of England. Yes, the Kitty Craft Company. They uh, it was created by Hillary Fisher Page. They end up modifying the size and the uh, of the bricks and sharpening the edges. 
So uh, the but still the bricks did not snap to each other very well. They still but they a, were self locking all that good stuff. A kitty craft brick and the first Lego bricks uh, were hollow. They didn't think of like a, mm-hmm. if you turned it upside down, think of an, a bathtub. It was completely yes. empty inside. Didn't have them tubes son. with a single slit on one side, which was also copied from the uh, kitty craft design. Mm-hmm. Do you know what the little slit was in uh, the first Lego blocks? Uh, the vagina. No. Okay. The minifigure and thus the idea of a Lego penis was not available and for decades after right. this. It was for making uh, window blocks and door blocks so they could slide in because these early gotcha. Lego uh, sets, these first plastic bricks, they were literally Lincoln logs. You were like yeah. on, the, on the box. It was like Lego automatic binding bricks. That's what they were formerly called. This is 1949, by the way. They were called automatic binding bricks in English because America had just kind of come in and helped win the war. And there was like kind of a cool uh, kind of, you know, um, English had kind of a cool edge to it. But they were houses. They were they, you just stacked them and they made little houses and you put the little door in the slot and you put the little windows in the slot. And that was it. Yeah. That was basically all you could do with them. Right, right. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You don't have also this, and this is what we're going to get into in the, in the 1950s, but you don't even think about it maybe as much or you don't appreciate it as much until you look at the evolution of Lego, but every Lego piece connects. Every Lego piece works with every other Lego piece starting real and it goes all the way back to like 1958 I believe when uh Ole Kirk passes away uh and his son Gottfried becomes the managing director and later CEO with the other siblings helping out the company as well as I said before but uh and in 1953 before that automatic binding bricks are renamed Lego bricks but it's really Gottfried the Lego Merston Ah, that's what they were called. It's really Godfrey that comes up with this stud and coupling system. Okay, there's you're talking about two different things. Okay, so in 19 at some point in the uh, before it's officially released, Godfrey is stuck on a European uh, passenger liner with the owner of a uh, big department store chain. And the department store chain guy is talking about how he fucking hates the toy industry okay, because yes. kids would get a toy and then they throw it away. And he felt like that was a huge waste. What a toy company really needs is a system. Yeah. Something that you can buy one piece and then you can buy the next piece without like losing the first piece that yeah. things can build upon each other. And with, you know, kind of the sunk cost, you then become dedicated to that toy line. And Godfrey picks that up. And runs with it. And so he starts uh, marketing Lego blocks as the Lego Merston, which is uh, Lego bricks, but is more f- commonly now known as the Lego system. Uh, the problem is there's just not quite, they don't, you know, they stack the, you know, they have the little studs on top so they don't shift around when you're kind right. of like stacking them. But as soon as you try and move them or if you want to like pick it up and like kind of build out from another angle, right? there's nothing holding them together. Ah, So the bricks require a massive redesign, and this changes everything. And that is the stud and coupling system? Mm-hmm. Yes, the stud and coupling system, this is patented 
around, around not too long after the passing of Gottfried and greatly expands on the building concepts they were working with and makes everything, like you said, universal and more just more durable, more everything. But it's those it's those sockets, those three. If you're imagining a classic two by four Lego brick, those three sockets on the bottom. Yes. Allows those tubes. Ev- yeah. Essentially that you see if you flip it over that allows you to lock things in in any different type of way. They uh, also need to get the right material, and that comes in the form of ABS, which is acrylonit. Oh, God, I hate this. Acrylonitril butadine styrene. I did it, and this is a polymer, which had a shiny surface while also being impact-resistant and tough. It also is so used for things like... If you've ever been um, hobbled completely by stepping on a Lego brick in the middle of the night, uh-huh. it's thanks to the wondrous properties of, of ABS. ABS. And that was used in stuff like bumper cars, golf club heads, and protective headgear. These are all things that are also incredibly shock-resistant. And that was the kind of thing, that kind of material that he needed in order to really perfect this whole system. Because yet again... Thinking forward, I need something that's going to last forever, that, that'll, that'll just always be there for you so that you can keep building off of it by buying more shit. And that was exactly what they found with ABS and with the stud and coupling system and the universal brick thing. The modern Lego brick is patented on the 28th of January in 1958, which will be a thing that will come back later, by the way, when we talk about copycats. Every piece from 1958, I love this fact, Every piece can now, from then to today, can interlock in some way. And Lego sets for young children are compatible with those made for teenagers. I just love the idea that you take a Lego brick from 1958 and and connect it to a brick from 2020. Um, That's such a cool thought, cool idea, and that's exactly what they needed. Another thing that happens at this time is the first themed sets start to arrive. And the uh, the first ones are basic town plan sets. Yes. And this is another thing that uh, Gottfried kind of really pushes. And this creates a, a more structured sense of play, a more kind of role-playing kind of thing. This is the first time you're really given complex uh, kind of suggestions. So was that in the late – I have here starting in 1964 they started producing sets. So there's a little, so it's a little more into the '60s. Uh, 1950. I see the town plan was first released in 1958 and to 1966. Well, I'm sorry. At this time, you guys will only be hearing grunts and things because Jake and I will be wrestling to. <laughs> we will. We will be wrestling each other until one of us passes out over this miscommunication. Uh, okay, the cool. The shirt's coming off. The shirt's coming off. Come on. So yes. Come on, Raggedy Ann, let's go. <laughs> oh yeah! I mean, Raggedy Ann, I have mean, red hair. I'm gonna put you in a camel clutch. <laughs> oh god, he's put me in the camel clutch. It's actually very comfortable. I'm very weak. <laughs> this is cozy, Jake. So starting in yeah, so I had th- that whatever. They are either way, they're given all the parts and instructions to build a specific model. So this is the thing that needed to happen to make me like Lego, which is so funny too, Jake. Because when I play video games, I do not like Minecraft style stuff. I I hate building your own thing. I love following a very specific list of objectives in a video game world, like Witcher 3 style, you know what I mean? And storytelling and things like that. So of course I, I, as a kid, gravitated towards that sort of experience. And one thing, can I go on a little side? Can we go on on a little side adventure? Let's go on a little stroll. We we wrestled, we made up. Let's let's take a little walk down the street. So one of the things that uh, 
is a hallmark of these early Lego sets is uh, the color scheme, which involves black pieces, white pieces, and primary colored pieces. Mm. These are directly influenced by the Dutch, not Danish, Dutch painter Piet Mondrian. If uh, do you know the the you remember when you were studying art, those like uh, multicolored squares, you know the, yes. those abstract squares. Yes, yes 100%. so. This was all based on an entire art movement called De Steel or the mm. style. And this kind of came about uh, in the 19, early 19, in the 1920s. And uh, this was codified and it was a reliance on straight lines and primary colors. Uh, and so Lego took direct influence from this. Now, I know what you're thinking, like, what a weird thing to like, you know, kind of base your children's toy on this obscure art movement. The thing is, De Steel was also known as the plasticism movement. Literally, the entire design philosophy was based on the idea of modern production techniques, including injection-molded plastic. Mm. So Lego is phenomenally European, yes. and it kind of adds to, you know, so it's plastic, it's in this color scheme, it's kind of cool, it's yeah. kind of modern, it's kind of exciting. Is as much as you can understand people in the 50s and 60s being like, ooh, uh -huh. specifically colored plastic blocks. <laughs> this is some high-tech shit. Hiya! It's a fact attack. Ba -ba uh, here you go. Here's your fact attack, Jake. Six bricks of two-by-four studs can be combined in 915,103,756 ways. Punch, punch, kick. That was your fact attack. Uh, okay, let's talk more about, let's see, it's around this time that they put out the Duplo series. This was for children five and under, and the motto was bigger blocks for smaller hands. Of course, those are the much bigger Lego blocks, the simpler ones for kids. It is 1978 that figures with movable arms and legs are introduced called minifigs. Jake, this is your zone. This is when they finally made the little people that you could put in your pocket. Uh, the original ones did not move at all. They mm. did not have arms and they did not have faces. But they were human-sized as well. They were... <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> but as the design was refined, as they added more parts, what makes the minifigure work is that they are exactly four Lego bricks tall. Mm. To exact, you know, uh, assuming you don't put on a hairpiece or a helmet on them. Right. I should also say at a certain time, um, Godfrey was so annoyed with like children and tourists trying to ex uh, get tours of the factory that he just started a satellite site in Billin to kind of showcase Lego works, and that became the Legoland amusement park mm. that had over half a million visitors its first year. Ah. Right now, this is purely a European thing. They're exporting all over Northern and Western Europe. Yes, that was in 68 is the first park. Okay. Right? That's what mm. I have, but I might be wrong because you corrected me earlier. Um, an American businessman uh, is visiting Europe and sees a Lego display at a department store and is so enamored with it that he actually takes it back to America. And of course, uh, who can forget the legendary American toy line, Lego by Samsonite. Yeah. Well, okay. So yeah, copycats. Or, I'm oh, sorry. no, no, no. This was official. They officially oh, licensed it. Oh, and okay. Because it was a luggage brand, gotcha. they fucked it up. And Weird. so during the 60s and into the 70s, Lego was not breaking through in America the same way that it was in Europe. Well, it didn't really go to the U.S. from what I see until 1973. The company went international in the early 60s. So we're not, I mean, the growth is just happening in a big way for Lego. For the most part, they were very much stationed in Denmark. 
But yeah, they ended up doing pretty well in Sweden, Switzerland, the UK, France, Belgium, Germany, and Lebanon, and they so that they finally get to the U.S. in 1973. So also, uh, also uh, there is uh, oh my God, another fire for the love of God! I think there was another fire at this point. There was another fire. This takes out the entire wood inventory, and they say, "Fuck it, we're just going fully plastic. We're not selling anything else." But Technically, plastic Lego. They did try and restart the wood toy company with a separate company run by two of Ole's shittier sons, but that quickly went nowhere. <laughs> Their shittier sons, uh, Snart and, <laughs> and Glor. Um, <laughs> he named them bad names so that he could keep which so- track of which sons were shitty and which sons were good. I will say, okay, so we're hitting a specific point uh, in the evolution of Lego where the Nintendo Disney thing kind of comes in. Okay. Because we're hitting the late 60s, early 70s, yes. and uh, a lot of things are happening in the toy industry, especially in America, because the Vietnam War is, and the anti-war movement that sprung from it is creating a genuine societal pushback against act- like uh, war toys. Stuff like uh, toy guns, stuff like action figures. This is when G.I. Joe hit its dark period. And Lego was never super... Lego always prided themselves up until later years, up until like the 90s, on being anti-violent and not having a time. I mean, I thought this, about that and I was this, like, well, there's the Black Castle, the knight has the sword, like, you know what this, I mean? But specifically, uh, it was a determined effort by the company to not produce war toys. In mm-hmm. fact... Um, uh, I have an early ad here back when Lego was still being distributed by Samsonite in America where a little kid is playing with Legos and it says, peace. There is in this nervous world one toy that does not shoot oh, or go cute. boom or bang or rat-a-tat-tat. Nice. Its name is Lego and it makes things. Nice. And the innocence of Lego, the kind of purity of the worlds built by Lego is kind of what makes it safe and universal. Whether you're from the big city or from the country, whether you grew up in a strict Christian household or a godless heathen household, uh, Lego was safe. Lego was pure. And I think because of that specific philosophical direction to avoid war toys, they benefited from it, even though it didn't yield immediate results in America. In fact, this is something from the Brickumentary. Because we're kind of at the introduction of the minifigure, Uh the first castle set with the little swords and with the little knights. And God, do you remember the weird pointy helmets they made them wear? Yes. Those were weird. (laughs) Of course I remember the pointy helmets. Uh, I always liked the spears. I put a little flag on the spear. Anyway, Mm. the first Lego castle set, the castle bricks were yellow because Gottfried was terrified that kids would actually take gray bricks and just turn them into guns and weapons. Right. The color was a huge deal, like still. um, Interesting. That's so bizarre. So, okay, we've got that turn there. Going back to the late 70s, where the minifigs were being created, it's also around this time that Cheld Kirk Christensen takes over. He's Gottfried's son. He takes over the company for Gottfried. It is also the late 70s that they are putting out themed lines of Lego, not just independent sets, but lines that are themed, such as Town and Castle in 1978, Space in 1979, Pirates in 1989, and Western in 1996. Shall we talk about licensing? Do you want to talk about that now, or do you Uh, want to talk about copycats, or do you want to talk about all sorts of things, my friend? Lego gets the rights back to distribute uh, their own toys in America, and from the 80s to 90s, this is where uh, we get kind of what we know as our nostalgia for Lego, Uh, the classic commercial, Zach. 
Zach, he's a Lego maniac. Yes. Zach, um, yes. I love these sets. There's a ton of imagination. The different factions, I've already talked about stuff from Mtron to Blacktron, Blacktron 2. The different castle sets, the Black Knight, all the cool little weapons, all the little cool accessories. I am loving this stuff. But things are not all what they seem. Because even while they're expanding their toy lines and even while, uh, you know, in my head, they're the coolest toy company ever, they're actually losing a lot of money. <laughs> right. What seems to be an issue is they have no control over their costs. And as these cool space and castle sets get more and more complicated and more and more action figure like because, you know, they're competing with the rise of the cool action figure, the G.I. Joe sets, the Ninja Turtles, uh, Marvel, you know, toy biz figures. They keep trying to push their Lego sets into being more action figure like, Mm -hmm. which means they need more specialty pieces, which means more molds, which means more production and they honestly are losing money a lot of the time. Yes. And so it's all thanks to, in the late 90s, a certain trilogy that everybody loves, and by loves I mean hates, but then they're trying to make it like they're good now on the internet, but it's fucking annoying. They're fucking bad movies. Stop trying to make act like they're good for some weird... I don't, I don't get it. The Star Wars prequels. Why do you gotta act on the internet? Why is there a, Why are they being memed to, into goodness? They're bad. Clone Wars is so boring. I'm sorry. The acting is terrible. Spoken like someone who doesn't even understand the drama involved with the Trade Federation's blockade of Naboo. Somehow these horrible movies save Lego. So I guess there's one thing I can like about them. Lucasfilm is about to put out the prequel trilogy and they end up tapping Lego for a partnership to license a set of toys to align with the first film. Now you got to realize at this point, obviously we haven't mentioned a franchise thing. They've gone through decades of creating no, toys. This was a huge no internal franchise. battle. Yeah, of course. Um, and there's guns in Star Wars and all that stuff it's too. The violence it's the use of licensed properties it's just the fact that they have to yield control and profits to lucasfilm really just puts a dent and uh there's a whole there are books written about all the weird mini factions that emerged within the lego group over this decision yeah i, I apparently it came down to polling parents who responded very positive t- to the because idea. it's two things they loved as yeah, kids of course right so you've got this first big Lego f- license starting, leading to Star Wars giving Lego more than 15% of the company's sales at the time. And then they just start going license bananas. They do sets for Batman, Indiana Jones, Pirates of the Caribbean, Harry Potter, and Minecraft. All of these things. And this is really what... And you, you see it. You go into a Lego store now, and half the store, it's Simpsons, it's... It's all these different properties, but everybody loves to... I agree. I love to combine two of my favorite properties into one thing. Making a Harry Potter Hogwarts Lego set was super fun. Talking about, oh, this is this character. Oh, cool. This is their room. Awesome. I'm having so much even more fun now. And we have the movies on in the background while we build. Holden, I'm sorry. You've stepped into... A common misconception. Oh, my God. Ah, ah, ah. It's very echoey in here. Well, the clear, like, the dominance of license sets within the Lego line seems to kind of one-to-one show their meteoric rise. The initial introduction of the Star Wars sets were a mixed bag. It actually Hmm. did not save the company yet. Okay. Because, A, they had to give away a ton of profits, and, B, a thing happened where 
they licensed Star Wars in 1999 and they licensed Harry Potter in 2001. And both times they would make the lines. It would sell out because the movies were coming out. And then they thought they had a hit on their hands. So they would make more the next year when there wasn't a movie out. Yes. And they would eat the cost. So there were at this time, there were tons and tons and tons of uh, just bargain bins filled with Star Wars and Harry Potter blocks. They do almost go bankrupt in the early 2000s. What really saved Lego, what really kept them afloat during this dark period was Bionicle, which has to be its own episode. I know there's tons of Bionicle fans out there, and this, I specifically the most passionate fans you will ever see love Bionicle, and it's a fascinating story. We are going to have to give Bionicle its own episode later on. Forgive us. Okay. So... In addition to that, uh, Lego is kind of flailing. They don't quite understand what works and what doesn't. Yeah, they're, and they're they, spreading themselves too thin as well. They're doing all these different product lines, like kids' clothes for kids and stuff like that. Uh, there's tons of bad lines, like um, I'm trying to remember, uh, Scala. Tons of failed girl lines that the mistake was they don't fit into the system. They introduced the Jackstone line, which is supposed to be their take on action figures. They introduced Galador, which is one of the worst ideas ever. They went to Hollywood and were like, we want our own series. We're sick of uh, paying Lucasfilm for all this stuff. We need our own original property. They're like, okay, spend a bajillion dollars on this awful kid sci-fi series. And when you make toys for it, don't make Legos of it. Make this weird interchangeable action figure system that cost so much money it was you know they just made their own action figure line they did not have the capacity to do it they burned so much money on this thing so jackstone galador scala all these weird things they were doing um technics this is an anecdote that became popular on reddit one of the designers talked about how in specific technic sets they introduced these like little uh, electric motors and fiber optic light systems that they just decided to add to sets and they actually lost money because those individual components were too expensive and they just didn't even recognize it. It wasn't until in around 2001, Kjeld, the the, the grandson yes, of Ole, Ole. Kjeld Kirksensen stepped down as CEO and a guy named Jorgen Nutstorp, Jorgen, 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 Jorgen <laughs> Vignerts Nutstorp fucking put the hammer down. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Packages by Expedia. You were made to be rechargeable. We were made to package flights, hotels, and hammocks for less. Expedia. Made to travel. All right, so before we get to Jorgenvid, I do want to say another thing they had to do was shut down a bunch of theme parks. Let's talk a little bit about Legoland before we move on to the rest of the history of Lego. The first park, Legoland Billund Resort, opened in Denmark in 1968. These are owned and operated by Merlin Entertainments, which it looks like this is their main bread and butter, Merlin, for Merlin Entertainments. It took until the mid-90s to put up another park, this time in the UK, and after that, they've had one in Germany, California, Florida, 
Japan, Malaysia, and Dubai. We have future parks, by the way, set to open in Korea and Shanghai, as well as Goshen, New York, which is set to open in July of 2020. That's right. This year, at the time of this recording, we're going to get a Lego theme park. But they are generally marketed to younger children, ages 11 and under. They have roller coasters and areas themed to Lego sets, such as My Town area or... Uh, the Knights Kingdom section, which could be a lot of fun. But yeah, generally for younger kids. I've never been to a Legoland. I don't, you haven't been to a Legoland, have I, you? No. But uh, they are cool, you know, but still, they had to shut down some of those as well. Because again, spreading themselves too thin, let's refocus back on the block. So how does this guy turn it all around? First, he does some, unfortunately, normal-ass corporate shit, like moving factories to uh, cheaper places like the Czech Republic and Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, he lays off a ton of people, does that kind of like kind of stone handed uh, redundancy check. And, you know, if you aren't responsible for putting up bricks, you are not working here anymore. Right. And uh, famously, uh, one of part of the new of his executive team brings in a bunch of the designers and holds up a Jack Stone car which is made of a bunch of finicky little pieces that do not, that were only built for this one item. Hmm. And is like, we are never doing this ever again. <laughs> this is bullshit. This was too expensive. Yeah. And if you're a kid and you want to build something, you're not going to pick this up. It goes because, against the whole yeah. original thing that they did in the late fifties. And if you're a kid who wa- doesn't want to build anything, you're not buying this either. Cause you still have to build it a little bit. Yeah. This is bullshit. Yeah. What are we doing? <laughs> and so there's a huge, huge push to make sure that sets use a limited number of pieces that individual pieces that they are have in excess because the management and storage of the Lego, uh, the production of Lego is kind of amazing. It's all these high tech plastic injection molding machines that are way, it's way bigger than just a 3D printer or kind of what you imagine it to be because the tolerances have to be so specific. And the so the plastic is heated and cooled and ejected, organized. There's It's mostly done by robots. It's like that specific. The bottom line is really streamlined yeah and they kind of have a better understanding of their own supply and demand their own resources you see it in the stores themselves if you go in the way everything is just so simple and so specific it's really cool the one at rockefeller plaza because it has all the crazy like the insane amount of different lego brick types that you colors and types that you can get and they have them all but there's something about the approach to the layout of that store that is incredibly welcoming in an Apple store kind of way. Everything is really simple and really pared down in every element of that store, right? Mm-hmm. And for something, for some reason, because I, I don't know how to explain how Lego went in and out of fashion as they have all through us growing up, but it seems like now more than ever, they're, they're, they've never been more popular. And I think the movie also helped them a lot. We'll talk about that next week. But yeah, I think I agree. You can see the corporate strategy in a lot of ways, essentially being like, remember this? It's just this simple thing. We're not throwing a bunch of random bullshit at you. We're not trying to get you to expand past. Remember how nice it is to just put these simple sets together? I guess what I'm trying to say is I feel it researching this story. It feels so weird. 
learning that the periods that I loved Lego the most, the periods that I thought it was were the, the coolest, like, least cool. Periods. Were the for as a company, they're dark ages. That's the things funny. that now they talk about in hushed tones. That's why that happens a lot. Uh, you, know, you you think back on movies that you love that were totally terrible, you know, or terribly received at the time of their release, all that kind of stuff. So I get it. That that is a lot oh, of the fun of and I would things. be. Uh, this is this is my liberal guilt corner. The fact that because they were focusing so much on competing with uh, video games and action figures, it turned Lego into a boy-heavy brand. Uh Uh, Mary, if you can play just like a 1996 Lego Mania commercial and just hear that like, boom, boom, din and a boom. Like, it's very clear that what should have been, especially back in Europe during the early days, a very unisex shared creative platform became very boy focused. Yeah. And it's only now that through the use of licensing and uh, much more deliberate consideration in their girl focused lines. Now it's become once again, this like kind of universal system. Yeah. Like I said, the, the frozen set that I put together mm-hmm. with the daughter of my with the I guess she is my niece now technically because i'm married but the set i put together with her it was all purple and pink and frozen of course everyone loves you know and having that partnership going on as well but it it it, it worked perfectly in a made more for a girl setting hey, hey holden i'm just gonna list all of the licenses that uh lego has started doing um okay. since they started doing licenses and you just tell me when it's officially too much um <laughs> Minions, Trolls, Stranger Things, Overwatch, Powerpuff Girls, The Goonies, Knight Rider, Batman, Sonic the Hedgehog, Gremlins, Harry Potter, Angry Birds, Ghostbusters, right, Portal 2, Angry Doctor Birds Who, DC line. Comics, Scooby-Doo, Jurassic World, The Hobbit, Disney Princesses, Superheroes, DC, Superheroes, Marvel. I drew the line in Angry Birds. I want to talk about The Lone Ranger. Ugh. Remember that fucking Johnny oh Depp Lone Ranger? I want to talk now for a little bit about copycats because, of course, I mentioned the patent for Lego bricks started in 1958 and expired. And in, this is important. It's not a copyright. It's not a trademark. It's a patent. It's a patent. It, it expired in the late 1980s, leading to a bunch of other companies attempting to make a fast buck on a copy of the concept. By the late 90s, Lego controlled almost 80% of the toy construction market. By the way, but in 2002, Lego ends up suing the Coco Toy Company in Beijing to, due to their cocoa bricks, which were made out of cocaine. <laughs> so they ended up winning that lawsuit. They they are ordered the Cocoa Toy Company. I almost feel bad for them. They're ordered to cease manufacture the products, issue a formal apology, and pay for damages. Very brutal, especially when you consider the fact that they were denied trademark protection in the German courts over a case against the Best Lock Construction Toys. Same situation, but they ended up winning. Also, Mega Blocks. Fucking Mega. There was nothing shittier than when you asked for Legos and your stupid uncle showed up with some goddamn Mega Blocks. Yeah, they ended up winning in the Supreme Court in Canada. So, very Now, when you ask why Lego is so expensive versus, you know, it's because why were you sad when you got Mega Blocks? They were, it was still ABS plastic. It was still injected and molded, but there was something off about something it. Something about And the, a lot of that was the tolerances. A lot of that ah. was the individual steps where, you know, if a piece just didn't come out right or if a batch didn't come out right, Lego would throw it away because every brick had to be 
perfect. Yes. And that level of, of perfection is expensive. In 2010, the European Court of Justice ruled that the eight-peg design, quote, merely performs a technical function and cannot be registered as a trademark. So there you have it. Now let's talk about robotics. It's time to talk about robotics and mindstorms. It is a line of toys that were produced in 1999, Mindstorms, that is, and led to different iterations. The name was derived actually from a paper written by a computer scientist and educator, Seymour Papert, which we may get into later with LEGO Serious Play, whose research at MIT was at times funded by the LEGO group. He had a theory on learning called constructionism, which is an approach to learning through participation in projects where the student makes connections between different ideas and areas of knowledge facilitated by the teacher through coaching rather than lectures or step-by-step guides. This is this really fascinating stuff going on with MIT and their partnership with Lego. And this originated from the Mindstorms, that is, originated from a programmable brick developed at the MIT Media Lab, which does not restrict to fixed academic disciplines, but draws from technology, media, science, art, and design, which is how they're able to produce these interesting concepts that Lego was able to take advantage of. They're like a think tank, essentially, uh, helping out Lego with their products. They developed, uh, I believe it started when uh, that same lab at Harvard uh, created a very rudimentary programming language for kids which i remember learning at my computer lab oh, back wow. in the 90s called logo oh yeah uh, with the little turtle where you made like yes. entered programming commands to make it make little shapes uh-huh and someone at lego kind of teamed up with that and so mindstorm started as this education market only thing but they kind of took what they learned from that and released it as a commercial product known as mindstorms and one of the first things that happened was uh, it got hacked to bits <laughs> of immediately the code uh, was broken down and reverse engineered and the hacking community, it was adults. It was adults that like realized this was a powerful tool to create very basic prototypes, kind of before the uh, Arduino or the um, Raspberry Pi revolution, before even like the kind of internet maker kind of, uh, you know, where someone made a 3D printed box that could tell you when someone tweeted at you or something. Right, right. These Mindstorms were very easy to buy, easy to set up, and thanks to the hacking community, easy to customize uh, electronics building platform. Yes, this programmable brick, the newest edition of it is the EV3. It includes sensors that detect touch, light, sound, and ultrasonic waves and can be programmed using software for Windows and Mac computers downloaded onto the brick via Bluetooth or USB cable. And there are uh, a lot of competition centered around the use of these robotic sets, namely the first Lego League and Junior, the first LEGO League is for ages 9 to 14. Lego League Ju- first LEGO League Junior is for younger ages. They are given a challenge mat during these competitions. The LEGO electronic and mechanical components, instructions for building the items, and a list of, quote, missions or tasks they are given to complete. They are given with complete freedom to complete them as long as their Lego Mindstorm robots completes it with no extra help. Imagine BattleBots, but way cuter. Yeah, it also reminds me of a program I did called Odyssey of the Mind, where essentially it was taking creativity and mixing it with a challenge. We had to do like... Sounds like a CIA front to build the next generation of super soldiers. We had to create... I'm sure people will talk about this on the Facebook page now that I mention it. I know my big thing was we did a Egyptian-themed... 
presentation where we did a we like performed to walk like an Egyptian and we created this structure out of toothpicks I believe it was I forget what the other stuff was that we were allowed to use and it had to see how much weight it could hold and it was this whole thing kind of reminds me of that it's these er, like science competitions for kids so anyways I, these look really fascinating the the kids are given eight weeks to build the robot and program it to complete the missions for the first competition, they had to uh, to help a group of astronauts stranded in a space station. This is like their general objective. So the, the missions involve pulling a lever to allow the astronauts into a chamber and delivering oxygen in the form of foam balls to different areas on the playing field. The first first championship was held in 1999 with 9,500 participants and 960 teams. The 2018 tournament, that they recently, not too long ago, had had over three hundred twenty-three thousand five hundred participants, with over forty thousand four hundred teams. So it is huge. Still, they also used Mindstorms for the Eco Creative Prosthetic System, which is super sweet. It is prosthetic limbs for children. They can equip the these you know they can equip different things, me- mechanical diggers or laser firing spaceships onto their prosthetics which is super nice among other things on the end of the child's limb it's very Um, sweet another thing that uh kind of helped in the rehabilitation of the lego company was uh its embrace of the adult fan of like the a falls the adult Mm. fans of lego Mm -hmm. and their mocs uh my own creations yeah, uh, and that is where it gets into Masters and stuff. We will get to Masters later, I believe. I, hopefully, there's going to be a special treat for you in your feed where uh, we'll get into that. Because that's the thing. Again, that whole thing made Lego cool again in a certain way for adults, you, you know? know? You know what it is? It's you look at a you look at a race car and you're like, oh, that's kind of cool. But you don't truly understand all the engineering that went yeah. into it. You look at a cool architectural achievement and you kind of you, you get why it looks neat but you don't understand what they've actually but accomplished. everybody's done lego before and so if you see this incredibly intricately built lego system you understand instinctively work of art what went into it yes. and what you know you Just know the man hours much less the creativity that must have gone into it's it. the building material that everyone understands on an on a gut level also, for adults, you have Lego Serious Play, which is really fascinating to me, but also kind of eye-rolly, and I'll explain why in a second. Lego Serious Play is a methodology and practice developed by the Lego Group with the goal of improving creative thinking and communication. Generally for business, it's like a business workshop type thing. It has people like a corporate workshop thing. It has people building models with Lego bricks to communicate their ideas and tell stories about their models. It came in uh, to play in the mid-90s. Two educators wanted to enable managers to describe, create, and challenge their views on their business. These educators were Johan Roos and Bart Victor. This comes from constructivism, which is students constructing knowledge out of their experiences based on their social and cultural environment. Constructionism, which is what that guy Pappert was working on with a guy named Harold that I mentioned earlier. And other theories get the all right, check these theories out. Complex adaptive system theory, auto poetic corporate epistemology, and something called action research. Clink. Uh, all applied to management and organizations. Now, 
It's Hold kind on. of cool. Let me say, but it's it is really... amazing that you were able to say all that while I'm still holding you in the grips of my camel clutch. <laughs> it's comfortable. I said I'm all. Uh, the only problem is I'm about to fall. It's because my body's too soft. I'm both... basically just a memory foam pillow. I'm about to fall asleep, both out of comfort and saying all these dumb words. <laughs> but I will say, I watched a little bit of it. I saw this. It was more in a classroom setting, but the teacher had the class build a specific model of a creature. Then, and this was for a software engineering class. He said, you can tweak this however you want. You could completely rebuild it if you want. But I want you, with this model, to explain why you were passionate about software engineering. When uh, And then they go around, and they, they work on it for a little bit, and then they present their model and talk about like what it means metaphorically. So it's interesting to a certain degree, but I also see it as like a very eye-rolly corporate thing. And I, it got a lot of criticism in the just in the sense of... It can be very alienating for older employees. And also, it just has this, like, new age business, you know, open air office kind of vibe to it. We're like, we're all going to get together and then play, but we're not going to just play. We're going to work on our synergy, you know? So it, this is I think actually... there's some fascinating things going on there in the way that you can use Lego or a universal language to metaphorically make statements to each other. But it's also like, all right, guys, where's the candy room and the ping pong table with your new ass office uh, approach? One of the great blunders during the dark years of Lego was they actually tried to do a series of education centers based on a lot of these ideas uh-huh. uh, based uh, I think out cool of Asia and China for kids. Oh, OK. So like, yeah. So again, the plastic brick company was running a series of Chinese schools where they taught constructivism to That's little so kids. funny. I mean, it is it is pretty interesting, but yeah, it, it takes a turn. So out we to, are out painting with broad brushes here. Yeah. This, I, when I, I'm serious when I say you could get to Disney-level granular like obsession with the different uh, kind of turns and personalities that have gone into the history of Lego. Oh, for sure. Um, you know, in, people know the names of individual designers. People know the names of, uh, you know, individual fan creators. It is fun to see. And you see that in that documentary I mentioned before, Designers at Work. And I think it is really fascinating. Generally, when you are hired, you're assigned to a specific line like Castle or Star Wars. And or also, friends. Uh, huh? Friends. Friends. Uh, is that a line? Yes. Yeah, like no, no, no. It was. Oh. <laughs> uh, it's the. It's the. Uh, I thought it was like Rachel and it's the, the, Ross. <laughs> the friends of Heart Lake City. Uh, it's oh, the girl funny. focus line. So there's also different rule sets. So if you've got old, if you're making for older kids, it actually might be a little more difficult in a sense because you're less restricted in terms of what you're allowed to introduce into the build. Whereas if for younger kids, it's a lot more strict. Like we don't go outside of these lines creatively or these blocks even, these block sets. I found a YouTube video where they went into illegal building maneuvers. Oh, interesting. Uh, just all the ways that you can actually wedge the plastic pieces together. Basically, if it's not intended and places too much strain on an individual piece, you, it is discouraged from like official interesting, bills. Interesting, interesting. Uh, so there was an interview I found with a man named Simon Lucas, who I don't know if he still is. This was from 2017, but he was a senior creative director. And this is what he had to say on how they approach uh, set design. We always start with a simple initial concept. We do one key visual where it's a very simplistic story and sit down with kids to see what they think. We often find if kids understand that story, that's one thing. But it's when they start telling their own stories 
he can go and do that, and this guy is best friends with that guy, as an example. That's a really good sign. That's what we want. We want to spark their imagination, and that's how we know there's huge scope in this world. And we can create more fun things. They also do a lot of playtesting with kids in different ways. He said when it, they build their initial models, sometimes the models might be a little crazy and out there. But we always ask kids, is this Ninjago, which we didn't really talk about the crazy ninja world that they created. That's like their own IP. Does this fit into the world? Going back to what Lucas said. And sometimes they reply, no, that's weird. Nothing can prepare you for hearing a child tell you that model is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was great. I mean, fuck Ninjago. Kaima. Kaima's where the real money's at. <laughs> All right, Jake. I am out of shit to talk about. Do but you have anything else? we still haven't even gone into the video games by Traveler's Tales or the uh, Lego movie by... I know. Oh, or the uh, the brick animations that uh, took over the internet back Absolutely. in the 2000s. I, I guess... Think... Oh, we're going to have to do a part I two. I guess we have to do a part two, Jake. This has been our episode on Lego... Thank you so much for joining us. If you'd like to catch us on Patreon, check us on patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. We've got bonus content every single week for you people. So Have you check ever it out. Been listening to the show and thought to yourself, gosh, there's just not enough weirdly personal confessions by these two men I need to hear. <laughs> That's on the bonus episodes. <laughs> um, all right. I think that just about does it. Uh, you can catch me on twitch.tv forward slash holdenators. So, Jake, you can please, please follow me on Twitter at bestjakeyoung. Hell yeah. Thank you so much. And uh, always remember, never stop bruising and keep on whizzing. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks... Then, there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.